Hi, everyone, and good morning. Welcome to this reading of the Fort Dodge Messenger. This is the Monday, January 23rd, 2023 edition. It's brought to you here on the morning of Tuesday, January 24th. We hope you're having a great start to your day. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. My name is Andrew Hop. I am filling in. Some of the headlines include for today's paper, Come One, Come All. Tourism brings $93 million to Webster County in 2021. Also, Fort Dodge Council to continue its work on budget. New skateboard park on agenda. And also, staying in the holiday spirit, Brady O'Brien Live donates thousands from successful Christmas special. These stories and more here in the Fort Dodge Messenger reading. But first, we're going to take a check out the forecast from the National Weather Service. Well, you can expect uh, for today, Tuesday, patchy fog between 8 and 10 a.m., otherwise mostly cloudy conditions with a high near 30 degrees. Winds from the west becoming south in the afternoon. For tonight, you can expect cloudy conditions, a low around 20. Winds from the south becoming light and variable. For Wednesday, tomorrow, a 20% chance of snow, cloudy with a high near 29. Winds from the northwest gusting up to 20 miles per hour. Brr. And then Wednesday night, a 20% chance of snow cloudy with a low around 11 and blustery conditions. Thursday, mostly cloudy, a high near 18. Looking through the weekend, it's not going to warm up much. You can expect on uh, Friday, mostly cloudy, a high near 35, a low of 8 above on Friday night. Saturday, a high of just 16. Mostly cloudy, a uh, low of around 3, negative 3, negative 3 Saturday night. And Sunday, mostly cloudy and cold, a high near 6. But anyway, we can think about that cold stuff later. Let's just get through today, shall we? All right, this and again, for today, you can expect uh, patchy fog between 8 and 10 a.m., mostly cloudy, a high near 30 degrees. Well, let's get into those headlines now. Come one, come all. That's going to start us off. Tourism brings $93 million to Webster County in 2021. This story by Kelby Winger. Fort Dodge may not be Orlando, Florida, with its massive amusement parks. And it's not the arts and entertainment hub of New York City. But Fort Dodge and Webster County still bring in tens of millions of dollars in tourism revenue each year. In 2021, tourism had a $93 million economic impact in Webster County, including direct spending of over $60 million, according to data from the Iowa Tourism Office Economic Impact Report. That direct spending includes lodging at $10.55 million, food and beverage at $14.4 million, transportation $16.6 million, retail $11.06 million, and recreation and entertainment. That says Carrie Cooper, Executive Director of Visit Fort Dodge. In 2022, the Webster County Convention and Visitors Bureau rebranded itself to Visit Fort Dodge. In May, Visit Fort Dodge launched a new website, dodgetheordinary.com. Very clever. Kuiper also hired two new staffers to the Visit Fort Dodge office. Community Sales Coordinator Tiffany Conrad and Tourism and Communications Assistant Geneva Dillon. The Iowa Girls State Softball Tournament each July and the State High School Cross Country Meet are two of the biggest draws for visitors. Kuiper said, or Kuiper, that last name is spelled K-U-I-P-E-R, and we're talking about Carrie Kuiper. Those are pretty much our premier sporting events in the community, she said. 
And with the improvements made at Harlan Rogers, we anticipate more usage and more tourism coming from that venue. Entertainment events throughout the year also bring in significant tourism. Celebration, that's celebration, S H E E, I'm sorry, S H E L L A B R A T I O N. Celebration, of course, is always a strong one day event for us, Kuiper said. Some hotels will fill up during that time, which is nice. For the last two years, Sports Park Raceway has hosted the GBC Heartland Challenge, an endurance ATV slash UTV race. Some of these riders are coming from 19 different states, so that is a really nice draw, Kuiper said. Visit Fort Dodge is able to aggregate visitor information from data provided by the Iowa Tourism Office, which uses a company that collects anonymous cell phone data. After removing data from phones that were in the area for less than two hours or more than two weeks, as well as data that shows travel patterns that indicate someone commuting for work, the company is able to identify visitors to the area. According to that cell phone data, October, July, August, and September were the highest months of tourism visitation in 2022. In 2021, those months were July, June, October, and May. The data also tracks where the cell phones originated. Last year, more than half of visitors to Fort Dodge came from 100 to 250 miles away. That cell phone data is extremely important, Kuiper said. The cell phone data is 100% anonymous and does not include any identifiable information. It's collected through cellular tower activity. Even events like sports tournaments, races, and concerts aren't the only attractions for visitors to Fort Dodge in Webster County. DodgeTheOrdinary.com features the Fort Museum and Frontier Village, Gypsum City OHV Park, Blanded Memorial Art Museum, Community Orchard, Rosedale Rapids Aquatic Center, Kennedy Park Playscape, Studio Fusion, Art Studio, and more. Other outdoor attractions include the Children's Forest and Storywalk Trail, Dolliver Memorial State Park, Camp Waniki, Lizard Creek, Brushy Creek State Recreation Area, and the various Fort Dodge City Parks. We know we're not Disney World, but there's a lot to do here, Kuiper said. Visitors to Fort Dodge in Webster County also bring in a significant amount of tax revenue each year. In 2022, the county collected $888,318 in hotel-motel tax revenue, an increase of $300,000 from the previous year. Visitor activity also generated almost $5 million in direct sales taxes and over $4 million in direct local taxes. Our next front page story from the Fort Dodge Messenger, Fort Dodge Council to continue its work on budget. This written by Bill Shea. Fort Dodge City Council, when it meets tonight, will face more budget work. The council's efforts, and that's, I guess we're reading this in retrospect. It would have met last night if you're listening to this on the network. Uh, But we're going to read it anyway. The council's efforts will begin at 5 p.m. or began at 5 p.m. in the municipal building at 819 First Avenue South with a workshop on the proposed 2023-24 budget. The elected officials will review the spending plans for the parks, recreation, and forestry department and the Fort Dodge Regional Airport. The council's regular business meeting will begin at 6 p.m. in the municipal building. During that session, the council will consider hiring an engineering firm to design a new skateboard park. The planned new park would be along the riverfront next to the former Sunkissed Meadows Golf Course. 
Under the plan before the council, Snyder and Associates of Ankeny would be paid a maximum of $70,000 to design the park. Construction of it would begin in the fall. There is a skateboard park beneath the North 7th Street Bridge, but it appears to get little use and has been vandalized. Our photo essay on the front page shows Tasha Nielsen, trail technician for Webster County, driving a side-by-side, -side, which is like one of those little mule jeep things, over an obstacle made out of recycled culverts at the newly dedicated Larry Lighting Skills Development Course at Gypsum City OHV Park. Fun. And then we have another photo on the left. It shows Trenton Bush, age 9 of Chardin, relaxing before the annual celebration concert gets underway in June of 2022 at Harlan and Hazel Rogers Sports Complex in Fort Dodge. All right, I guess that's part of the tourism story. Iowa lawmakers focus on supply chain issues. That is our next headline story. This is written by Luke Clausen of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Iowa's House delegation focused on transportation and supply chain issues this week, while Representative Zach Nunn snagged a key committee assignment and Senator Joni Ernst targeted Planned Parenthood. Midwest House members addressed supply chain bottlenecks. Iowa's House delegation sent a letter to the Surface Transportation Board's chairman, Martin Oberman, asking him to lift a planned weeks-long embargo on rail service due to what Union Pacific perceives as bad winter weather. The Iowa lawmakers joined in the letter with three Minnesota lawmakers, Republican Representatives Michelle Fishbach and Brad Finstad and Democrat Angie Craig, along with Wisconsin Rep Republican Representative Tom Tiffany. The lawmakers said they were skeptical of the need for an embargo because similar weather did not cause embargoes in the past. We respectfully urge the STP to exercise its statutory oversight authority by immediately convening a forum with Union Pacific and affected shippers, directing Union Pacific to lift the ongoing embargo and expeditiously restoring normal rail service throughout the Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin region before further harm to the supply chain may occur, according to a tweet from Finstad. Feenster Bill would ease trucking rule. Representative Randy Feenstra also focused on supply issues. He introduced a bill with Florida Republican Representative Brian Mast to address a shortage of truck drivers that significantly affects America's supply chain. The legislation would allow drivers under age 21 to transport goods from a U.S. port of entry to another location within the same state. That's currently designated as interstate transportation, which is prohibited for drivers under age 21. The legislation would eliminate the interstate transportation designation. Under current law, drivers under age, the age of 21 are prohibited from transporting goods delivered at a U.S. port of entry to another location without this, within the same U.S. state, according to a press release. More specifically, this legislation would amend Title 49 U.S. Code to provide that the transportation of goods from a port of entry to another location within the same U.S. state as said port does not constitute interstate transportation. Feaster said the legislation will push back against government overreach. From food and fuel to furniture and fertilizer, Iowa truckers work overtime to keep our shelves stocked and our supply chains moving, Feaster said. However, federal regulation, overregulation, has exacerbated trucker shortages and prevented household goods that our families rely on from reaching market. Regulatory oversight? 
Feenstra also co-introduced, along with Florida Republican Representative Kat Kamek, a bill requiring congressional oversight over major regulations enacted by federal agencies. The bill would require approval by the U.S. House and Senate of every major rule proposed by a federal agency, according to a news release. A major rule is defined as any federal rule or regulation that may result in an annual effect on the economy of $100 million or more, a major increase in costs or prices for consumers, individual industries, government industries, government agencies, or geographic regions, or significant adverse effects on competition, employment, investment, productivity, innovation, or the ability on, of U.S.-based enterprises to compete with foreign-based enterprises. Feenstra described the proposal as a cost-saving measure for businesses and families. With the right regulatory conditions and tax policies, American families, farmers, and small businesses can outcompete any other nation in the world, he said in a news release. Unfortunately, burdensome government red tape stifles entrepreneurship, increases the cost of living for our families, raises input costs for our farmers, and disincentivizes Iowans from starting their own business. Ernst reintroduces ban on federal funds for Planned Parenthood. Senator Joni Ernst announced she will reintroduce legislation that bans any federal dollars going to Planned Parenthood or to any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, successors, or clinics, according to the bill's text. The bill would also redirect funds for other health services for women, such as cancer screenings, prenatal and postnatal care, immunizations, and other eligible services, according to a news release. This legislation will help prevent taxpayer funds from being funneled to the nation's largest abortion provider and allow for greater support of women's and children's health care, Ernst said in a news release. This comes after Friday's March for Life at the nation's capital. And then finally, none assigned to Ag Committee. Representative Zach Nunn has gained a seat on the House Agriculture Committee. This position comes a week after his appointment to the House Financial Services Committee. The position will allow none to help craft the farm bill, which is reauthorized every five years to address America's agriculture issues. The last farm bill was passed in 2018. We have a big agenda with renewing the farm bill. It'll be my job to listen to our farmers and producers so I can convey what Iowans want included in the bill, none said. All right, our final front page story here in the Fort Dodge Messenger, staying in the holiday spirit. Brady O'Brien Live donates thousands from successful Christmas special. This is written by Eric Pratt. Brady O'Brien's Christmas performance kept his organization in the giving mood well into January this year. The Brady O'Brien Live show, Home for the Holidays at St. Edmund last month, attracted over 700 people and raised more than $3,000 from various causes throughout central Iowa. Last week, O'Brien nonprofit team, their nonprofit team visited the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Des Moines where board members toured the facility and donated toys, clothes, food, and other items. I was excited to see the support that the community showed with their donations. When the board went to donate to the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Des Moines, we learned that they have served over 1,300 families in Webster County, the 19-year-old O'Brien said, even though they are located in Des Moines. They are truly there for all of our communities in Iowa. It's incredible how much people donated and bid on items to help raise money for this cause. The weather slash blizzard slash cold definitely had an impact on the size of the crowd, but it was amazing to see how many people ventured out to still come to the show. I am so lucky to have the unwavering support of the community behind me. In total, Brady O'Brien Live distributed $3,261.48 from the two-day concert event 
to the RMHC, Ronald McDonald House Charities, the Bow Wheeler Benefit at St. Edmund, Fort Dodge Middle Schooler Corbin McHone's Love Without Boundaries Charity, and local families in need during Christmas time. A total of 40 items were donated by area businesses and featured in the silent auction. O'Brien's Home for the Holiday Special featured local musicians Alyssa Alvey, Mikhail Campbell, Grace Casciato, Jordan Putney, and Hallie N. The talent I am able to perform with is my favorite part, said O'Brien, a 2022 St. Edmund graduate. This year I had such an incredible band backing me up, I could not be more blessed to work with them. I am also very happy that I got to share the stage again with Alyssa, Mikhail, Grace, Jordan, and Hallie. These five vocalists are truly incredible. Not only do I like to donate to other families and charities, but I love helping others build their dreams. I hope that I'm able to continue to work with these vocalists in upcoming shows. The next scheduled Brady O'Brien live event will be Thursday, March 30th at Trinity United Methodist Church in Fort Dodge. O'Brien has now hosted five concerts in the last calendar year alone, raising thousands of dollars for worthy endeavors and those in need throughout the region. I am most inspired to continue creating events to help young people, O'Brien said. This year, we hope to start raising money for scholarships to graduating seniors, which will help to continue their journey of music. O'Brien and his team are already planning for his Christmas 2023 show as well, which is scheduled to be held at the resurrected Lamar Ballroom, or Laramar Ballroom, I should say, in Fort Dodge. We've already started planning for the Christmas show next year to make it bigger than before, O'Brien said. It will be an event everyone won't want to miss. We hope to help even more people in the community this year and can't wait to reveal our upcoming plans. I've learned after hosting these large events that I couldn't do this without my amazing board and team. Teamwork is key in making these events possible, and they help take my designs from a drawing to real life. Now, for more information or to support the endeavors like of Brady O'Brien Live, you can visit BradyO'BrienLive.com. They offer updates on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, moving on now. I think that was our final front page story, so we're moving on now to page... Two. This date in history, and this of course would be for Monday, January 23rd, which is the 23rd day of the year. Well, how about that? There are 342 days left in the year. On January 23rd, 1964, the 24th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution eliminating the poll tax in federal elections was ratified as South Dakota became the 38th state to endorse it. On this date in 1845, Congress decided all national elections would be held on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. In 1932, New York Governor Franklin D. Roosevelt announced his candidacy for the Democratic presidential nomination. In 1962, Jackie Robinson was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility. In 1973, President Richard Nixon announced an accord had been reached to end the Vietnam War and would be formally signed four days later in Paris. In 1977, the TV miniseries Roots, based on the Alex Haley novel, began airing on ABC. In 1998, fighting scandal allegations involving Monica Lewinsky, President Clinton assured his cabinet during a meeting that he was innocent and urged them to concentrate on their jobs. 
I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. That's a lie. I can hear him now. In 2020, Chinese state media said the city of Wuhan would be shutting down outbound flights and trains trying to halt the spread of a new virus that had sickened hundreds of people and killed at least 17. The World Health Organization said the viral illness in China was not yet a global health emergency, though the head of the UN Health Agency added it may yet become one. Hmm. All right, uh, moving to page three. Some national news here. Dems critical of Biden's handling of classified documents. Hmm. Interesting. Durbin says he should be embarrassed. Dateline, Washington. This is an AP story. Senior Democrats, dismayed by a steady stream of startling disclosures, expressed criticism Sunday of how Joe Biden handled classified material after leaving office as vice president in disappointment that the White House has not been more forthcoming with the public. Lawmakers who might have anticipated questions focusing on the debt limit of U- or Ukraine aid when they were booked last week for the Sunday news shows found themselves quizzed about the latest development over the weekend in this document drama that has put Biden's presidency on the defensive. During a search Friday of Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware, the FBI found additional documents with classified markings and took possession of some of his handwritten notes. <laughs> I hope they were legible, the uh, president's lawyer said Saturday. Biden should be embarrassed by the situation, said Illinois Senator Dick Durbin, the second-ranking Democrat in the Senate adding that the president had ceded the moral high ground on an issue that has already entangled former President Donald Trump. uh, Special counsel appointed by Attorney General Merrick Garland are investigating both cases. Well, of course, let's be honest about it. When the information is found, it diminishes the stature of any person who is in possession of it because it's not supposed to happen. The elected official bears ultimate responsibility, Durbin said. Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, said Biden should have a lot of regrets. You just might as well say, listen, it's irresponsible. The president told reporters on Thursday that he had no regrets over how and when the public learned about the documents and that there was no there there. Despite their criticism, Biden's fellow Democrats defended what they said was his cooperation with the Justice Department as the search for additional classified material unfolds. They contrasted it with Trump's resistance to efforts to recover hundreds of documents after he left office. It is outrageous that either occurred, Durbin said, but the reaction by the former president and the current president could not be in sharper contrast. Biden voluntarily allowed the FBI into his home on Friday, but the lack of a warrant did not dim the extraordinary nature of the search. It compounded the embarrassment to Biden that startled that started earlier in January with a disclosure that the president's lawyers had found a small number of classified records at a former office at the Penn Biden Center in Washington shortly before the November 8th elections. The White House has disclosed that Biden's team found classified documents and official records on four occasions in recent months. On November 2nd, at the offices of the Penn-Biden Center in Washington, and then in the follow-up searches on December 20th in the garage of his Wilmington home, and on January 11th and 12th in his home library. The discoveries have been a political liability as Biden prepares to kick off his 2024 re-election bid, and they undercut his efforts to portray an image of propriety to the American public after the tumultuous presidency of his predecessor, Trump. 
Manchin excoriated both men for their handling of sensitive security documents. It's just hard to believe that in the United States of America, we have a former president and a current president that are basically in the same situation. How did this happen? Oh, goodness. All right. Well, on that nice note, why don't we take a look at the community calendar here? Fort Dodge Noon Rotary. is on Monday, because this is Monday's calendar, so maybe we'll look at that uh, another time. That's the problem when you record a paper the day before, stuff gets outdated quick. Registration open for private pesticide continuing instruction course. Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Webster County Office will be offering another opportunity to attend the private pesticide applicator continuing instruction course, or P-CIC, led by Extension Field Agronomist Angie Reich Hintz. The course will be offered on Wednesday, February 8th at the Webster County Extension Office. Pre-registration is required. Walk-ins on the day of the program will only be admitted if room allows. Please pre-register online at go.iastate.edu backslash POIG6G or call the Webster County Extension Office 515-576-2119. I'll give you that one more time. 515-576-2119 if you want to learn about pesticides. And the club roundup from the week of January 23rd. Um, the Fort Dodge Noon Rotary met at uh, Shiny Top Brewing. That was uh, at noon on Monday. Rotary Club meets at 7 a.m. Tuesday in the boardroom of the Triton Cafe, Iowa Central Community College. The Fort Dodge Noon Kiwanas meet noon Tuesday at the Pizza Ranch at 3311 5th Avenue South. The Noon Lions Club meets at 1130 a.m. Wednesday. The Lions Den, 731 at Expo 731 Exposition Drive. The Noon Sertoma Club meets noon Thursday at Pizza Ranch at 3311 5th Avenue South. We also have support groups. The Alcohol Dependency Alano Club meets at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Sunday. At 1408 Fifth Avenue South, the Al-Anon Family Group meets noon Sunday at 1408 Fifth Avenue South. The Al-Anon Family Group meets noon Monday at the First United Methodist Church, 127 North 10th Street. The Al-Anon Family Group meets at 5 p.m. Thursday at 1408 Fifth Avenue South. And the Alano Club, 8 p.m. Friday, Come to Believe Group at the 1408. 1408 Fifth Avenue South location. We have a weight control group that meets 8.30 a.m. Saturday at the First Congregational United Church of Christ located at 1611 Williams Drive in Fort Dodge. We have Right on Toastmasters at 5.30 p.m. Thursday at the Pizza Ranch in Clarion. We also have the Veterans Groups Disabled, Veterans, Disabled American Veterans Chapter 29 6 p.m. Tuesday at the VFW. That's located at 518 South 29th Street. We'll read to you about Morning Lisa Presley. Lisa Marie Presley. Fans, celebrities gather at Graceland. And it shows Axl Rose performing during a memorial service for Lisa Marie Presley Sunday in Memphis. That's the headline photo. She died January 12th after being hospitalized for a medical emergency and was buried on the property next to her son, Benjamin Keough and her near her father, Elvis Presley, and his two parents. 
fans and celebrities gather at Graceland. It's written by Adrian Signs. From the Associated Press, Dateline, Memphis, Tennessee. Lisa Marie Presley, a singer, songwriter, and the daughter of Elvis Presley, was remembered during a funeral service Sunday as a loving mother and an old soul who endured tragedy but persevered as a dedicated protector of her father's legacy as a rock and roll pioneer and pop icon. More than a thousand people gathered on the front lawn of Graceland on a gray, chilly Memphis morning to mourn the death and remember the life of Lisa Marie Presley, who died January 12th after she was taken to a hospital in California. Some mourners held flowers as they waited for the service to begin under the tall trees on the lawn of Graceland, the home in Memphis where Lisa Marie lived as a child with her father. The mansion, which Lisa Marie Presley owned, has been turned into a museum and tourist attraction that hundreds of thousands of fans visit each year to celebrate the life and music of Elvis, who died in 1977 at age 42. The property in South Memphis was a place of sadness and somber memories on Sunday. The service began with the singing of Amazing Grace by Jason Clark and the Tennessee Mass Choir. We would like to express our heartfelt gratitude for the love, compassion, and support you have shown our family during this difficult time, said a message from the Presley family written on the program for the service. We will always be grateful. Among those who spoke during the service were Lisa Marie's mother, actor Priscilla Presley, actress Priscilla Presley, Sarah Ferguson, the Duchess of York, Jerry Schilling, a close friend of Elvis, and former... Memphis Mayor A.C. Wharton, who called Lisa Marie's parents Memphis royal couple and a conduit to the throne, the keeper of the flame. In a soft voice, Priscilla Presley read a poem from one of Lisa Marie's three daughters, Harper, Vivian, and Lockwood, entitled The Old Soul, in which she calls her mother an icon, a role model, a superhero to many people all over the world. In 1968, she entered our world, born tired, fragile, yet strong. She was delicate, but was filled with life. Priscilla Presley read, She always knew she wouldn't be here too long. Childhood passes by with a glimpse of her green eye, and she grew a family of her own. After reading the poem, Priscilla Presley said, Our heart is broken. Lisa, we all love you. Music punctuated the service. Billy Corgan, lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins, played acoustic guitar and sang To Sheila. Atlantis Morissette sang Rest. Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses played piano and sang November Rain. And the Blackwood Brothers Quartet performed two songs. After the service, mourners walked through Graceland's Meditation Garden, where she was laid to rest in an above-ground grave next to her son, Benjamin Keough, who died in 2020, alongside her grandparents and great-grandmother. Recent bouquets of red, white, yellow, and pink flowers line the walk up to the gravesite and the tomb itself. Fans, some teary-eyed, walk slowly by the tomb, pausing to pay their respects. All right, that being read and said, we move on now to the obituaries here in the Fort Dodge Messenger and tell you that you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. This is our halfway point. This is Andy filling in. Hope you're having a great start to your day as uh, we are bringing you this episode of the Fort Dodge Messenger. Our first obituary is for Bob Patton of Gallery. Bob Patton, age 73, of Gallery, died January 20th, 2023 at the Paula J. Baber Hospice Room in Fort Dodge, Iowa. 
Robert Stephen Patton, son of James and Anise Patton, was born September 10, 1949 in Fort Dodge. He graduated from Prairie High School in 1967 and attended the University of Iowa, Northern Iowa. In 1971, he enlisted in the U.S. Air Force and spent 20 years as a member of the Singing Sergeants based in Washington, D.C. During his military career, he performed in all 50 states and over 20 foreign countries, Bob retired from the military in 1991 and returned to Gallery, where he was editor and publisher of the Gallery News. The newspaper was owned and published by the Patton family from 1899 until 2011. Bob performed for many years as a vocalist with numerous organizations, including the U.S. Air Force Band, Carl L. King Municipal Band, Fort Dodge Area Symphony, Iowa Veterans Band, Dorian Opera Theater, Stars Over Visha, Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp, and many other musical groups. Preceding him in death were his parents. Survivors include his wife, Nancy Vogt, daughter, Stephanie McAdam, and her husband, Jeremiah, Towson, Maryland, grandchildren, Bailey Zvesky, Noah and Rowan McAdam, sister, Janelle Willis of Applington, Iowa, brother and sister-in-law, Scott and Deb Patton of Nevada, Iowa, nieces, nephews, other relatives, and friends. No services are planned. A celebration of life will be held at a later date. Palmer Funeral Home of Gallery is serving the family. And we have some funeral announcements to bring you here also. One for Dolores Schultz. 11 a.m. Wednesday at the First Baptist Church. Visitation is 4 to 6 p.m. Tuesday. That's today at the Gunderson Funeral Home. And that would be at 1615 North 15th Street. Our next obituary is for Leland Odom, age 81, of Fort Dodge, formerly of Clare, passed away on Friday, January 20th, 2023, at Trinity Regional Medical Center. His wishes were to be cremated with no services held at this time. Arrangements have been entrusted with Gunderson Funeral Home and Cremation Services. Leland is survived by his children, Teresa Hansen, Robert Odom, Peter Odom, Todd Odom, Larry Odom, and Susan Odom, and numerous grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He was preceded in death by his son, Thomas Odom. Sonia Owens, a time of gathering for family and friends for Sonia Axness Owens, will be from 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday, January 28, 2023, at the Gunderson Funeral Chapel, www.gundersonfuneralhome.com. And then finally is Daryl Axness. A time of gathering for family and friends for Daryl Axness will be from 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday, January 28, 2023, at the Gunderson Funeral Chapel. Website, www.gundersonfuneralhome.com. All right, takes care of everything in the obituary section. One short story before we move on to opinions. Sheriff says suspect in dance club shooting killed self in van. That's is the story from a, a Sunday. Uh, that terrible story out of California, Monterey Park is the dateline. It's an AP story. The hunt for a gunman who killed 10 people at a Los Angeles-area ballroom dance club ended Sunday when authorities found him dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound in the van he used to flee after people thwarted his attempt at a second shooting. Los Angeles County Sheriff Robert Luna identified the man as 72-year-old Hu Can Tran and said no other suspects were at large. Speaking at an evening news conference, he added that the motive remained unclear for the attack, which wounded 10 more. 
Luna did not have the exact ages of the victims, but said they all appeared to be over 50. Seven of the wounded people remained in the hospital, he said. The sheriff added that the suspect was carrying what he described as a semi-automatic pistol with an extended magazine, and a second handgun was discovered in a van where Tran was found dead. Also speaking at the news conference, Congresswoman Judy Chu said she still has questions about the attack. What was the motive for this shooter? Did he have a mental illness? Was he a domestic violence abuser? Did he get these guns, and was it through legal means or not? Goodness gracious. Um, And that's the end of that story. Wow. I guess the AP is really breaking down on how they write stories these days, but um, we'll move on to the opinion section now. Leave that one behind. And uh, don't let me forget to bring you that news about the ingredients strike. That was something that happened over the weekend. I'll bring that to you after the opinions here. The Messenger Editorial, Service Projects, Fun Activities, Mark Lutheran, Schools Week. All right. My brethren, right on. St. Paul Lutheran School has been in Fort Dodge since 1863. Students at St. Paul Lutheran School may be seen wearing sports team logos and showing off some crazy hairstyles this week. Wearing the colors of their favorite teams and taking part in Crazy Hair Day are components of the Fort Dodge School's observance of Lutheran Schools Week, which began Sunday and continues through Saturday. The week provides the school students with some fun breaks from the usual routine. But the greater purpose of the week is to highlight the strengths and characteristics of St. Paul Lutheran School and other Lutheran schools across the country. St. Paul Lutheran School has been a fixture in the community since 1863. To put that in perspective, Fort Dodge became a city in 1853, after the Army left its outpost here. The current school building at 1217 4th Avenue South was constructed in 1950. It was expanded in 1959 and remodeled in 1999. The school educates children in pre-kindergarten through 8th grade. It is accredited by the National Lutheran School Accreditation. School leaders tout the institution's Christ-centered environment, low student-teacher ratio, and classroom technology. They also point out that there is financial assistance available for qualifying families. For generations, dedicated teachers aided by capable support staff members have educated hundreds of children at the school. We're grateful for that. We're also pleased to say that St. Paul Lutheran School is a respected institution in our community. Right on. Okay. Well, if you're looking for a good place to send your kid up there, I guess accept no substitute. Historic tax bill starts to take effect. It's written by Tim Crayenbrink. Last year, Republicans in the legislature passed a transformational tax bill for Iowa. One key aspect of the bill went into effect on January 1st this year. It eliminated all taxes on retirement income. With this reform, more Iowans will be able to either stay here year-round and enjoy time with their families or attract more people to our great state as people look for more affordable living. Eliminating this tax was one more step Senate Republicans are taking as we work to make our state more competitive and keep more people in our state. Tax reform continues to be on our minds as we head into the 2023 legislative session. Property taxes is an issue we hear about often because they have increased dramatically over the last several years. Property tax reform is a big priority this year, and we'll be looking into how we can best bring some relief to Iowa taxpayers, limit the size and cost of local government, and bring more transparency to a complicated process. 
Committees I serve on, writes Tim Crayenbrink. Appropriations chair, which passes appropriations bills, regulates expenditures of the money. Education, initiates and implements educational policies. Government oversight, ensures efficiency, effectiveness, and accountability. State government, from election laws and campaign ethics to banks and credit unions, anything touching state government. Also, technology vice chair, information technology, telecommunications, cybersecurity. And finally, workforce, job creation and workforce storage, shortage, solutions. Storage. Shortage solutions. All right, moving to Veterans Day at the Capitol, writes Tim Cranebrink. Every year, veterans from all over Iowa come to the Capitol. On Wednesday, this tradition continued. Many of these men and women gathered in the rotunda and listened to speeches from various officials. Various veterans foundations were present to talk about their missions and the work they do to help veterans. We took the community to thank them for their service and hear their thoughts on ways the legislature can help improve the lives of our veterans. Students First Act advances. This week, the Senate Education and Appropriations Committees passed Senate File 94, commonly known as the Students First Act. Governor Reynolds spoke at length about this bill in her condition of the state speech last week. The bill has been the primary topic in the Iowa Senate over the first two weeks. After passing both committees, the bill is now eligible to be debated by the full Senate. This is not a public versus private school debate. It's about educating all students in the best possible way. A vast majority of Iowa students attend public schools, and a vast majority of Iowa students will continue to choose their public school. School Choice offers an alternative for families who may need a new option. We care about making sure that every child gets the best education that fits their unique needs. Through School Choice, we will not defund public schools. Public schools will keep their property tax revenue, and they will receive an estimated $1,200 for each resident student opting for private education with an SEA. Senate File 94 also creates an opportunity for nearly $100 million statewide, currently unused in restricted accounts in public schools, to be used to raise teacher pay. Legitimate polls of Iowa voters have consistently shown strong parental support for school choice. Governor Reynolds also made school choice a centerpiece of her campaign, and she won by one of the largest margins in an Iowa governor's race in the last 40 years. Iowans have shown their support of school choice, and after this week, it is several steps closer to becoming a reality. That, of course, is written by Tim Crane, Brink, Republican of Fort Dodge. He is a senator in the Iowa Senate, representing District 5. All right, that was the opinion section. That uh, story about the strike. Striking ingredient workers, okay, new contract. Dateline Cedar Rapids, this is an AP story. A nearly six-month-long strike will end after more than 120 workers at ingredient maker Ingredion voted Sunday to accept a new contract. The head of the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers international union praised workers in Cedar Rapids for remaining steadfast throughout the prolonged contract fight. The union didn't release details about what is included in the new four-year contract. This has been a long and difficult fight for our striking members and their families. With each new day on that picket line, fighting for what they deserve, our members grew in strength, courage, and determination. Union President Anthony Shelton said, I could not be more proud of these hardworking members who put it all out on the line. 
to fight for a fair contract. Officials at the Chicago-based company didn't immediately respond to questions Sunday. Ingridion has more than 11,000 employees worldwide and reports annual sales of nearly $6 billion. It reported a third-quarter profit of $106 million. This strike began August 1st as Ingridion workers fought for improved benefits and wages along with stronger seniority and work rules. There have been a number of high-profile strikes in recent years since the pandemic as workers press for more amid the ongoing worker shortages. All right, time to check in with our sports section here. This starts on page 7 of the Fort Dodge Messenger. Ross lands early signature win for Fort Dodge Senior High School. Dodger freshman defeats number one Cyclone recruit Haggerty for 195-pound winger gold. This written by Eric Pratt. Dateline Urbandale, Iowa. Dreshawn Ross knows his 195-pound championship on Saturday at the Ed Winger Classic didn't close the books on anything significant. For Dodge's freshman, Phenom, is hoping this is simply the first chapter in a long story still to come. In a rematch with top-ranked Iowa State University recruit McCray Haggerty of Waverly Shell Rock, Ross scored a quick takedown in overtime for a 4-2 victory over the state's number one overall senior wrestler. The seasoned veteran Haggerty, 29 and 2, and highly touted Ross at 29 and 2, were squaring off for the second time this season. In early December, Haggerty escaped with a 3 to 1 decision at the Dan Gable Donnybrook in Coralville. This time around, the second-rated Dodger pulled through in a match filled with stop-and-go action. Ross was whistled for a locked hands call in two stalls, while Haggerty got clipped for three cautions. Ross also earned an escape in regulation. After the takedown to seal the sudden death triumph, Ross, typically mild-mannered in victory or defeat, bounced to his feet with an excited expression in the direction of the Dodger coaches. Sam Cook, a two-time Fort Dodge Senior High School state champion at 195 pounds himself and now a volunteer assistant, had the most demonstrative reaction. A win like this is a confidence booster, but I can't let it go to my head too much, Ross said. The goal on Saturday isn't the main goal for the season. For this season. I like to wrestle in matches that are big like this. I didn't really make any adjustments against Haggerty this time around. I just went out there and competed hard for six minutes and stayed disciplined. That helped me come out on top. Haggerty's only other loss this season came via decision to Brayden Thompson, one of the nation's top overall recruits who has committed to Oklahoma State. It was an interesting match, Dodger head coach Bobby Thompson said. Some strange calls, not much of a, a flow, kind of nitpicky at times. What I hope Dreshawn gets from the win is realizing just how high his ceiling actually is. That's not always easy for a 15-year-old to understand. He doesn't have to wait for the moment, though. He can just go. Make the moment his. Have fun. Pick and choose your spots, but stay aggressive. He's right here. Dreshawn is such a good kid and an incredible role model for our program, but he's also still learning the ropes. I'm hoping a win like this gives him even more confidence and helps him turn the corner moving forward because I honestly think Dreshawn's potential is limitless. The shorthanded Dodgers, who were without the services of number one, 113-pound Drew Ayala, ranked third, 138, Coy Davidson, number six, 120-pound Max Bishop, and senior heavyweight Keaton Nichols 
were sixth overall with 104.5 points. Number one was Waverly Shellrock with 200 points. The team champion followed by third-rated Southeast Polk, 187 points. Second-ranked Bettendorf, 168.5 points. Ankeny Centennial, 120 points. And number seven, Waukee Northwest, 108 points. And fourth-rated Fort Dodge Senior High School. Juniors Cal Hartman and Demarion Ross placed third at 170 and 160 pounds, respectively. The 12th-rated Hartman, 25 and 10, knocked off second-ranked Seth Madden of North Scott in the quarterfinals. 10 to 3, then edged number two, 1A, Jace Nelson Brown of Emmitsburg by a 6 to 5 count for bronze. It was a big day for Cal, Thompson said. He's always had the potential and been right there, but needed a boost like this mentally. I think he understands now. That he had that he can do some significant damage at 170 the rest of the way. It's all a matter of going all out for six full minutes and believing in himself. Hopefully, this will catapult him in these next few weeks. The second rated Ross, 30 and 3, was edged in the semifinals by unbeaten Danny Diaz of Waverly Shellrock, 3 to 2. He bounced back with an impressive major decision over Justin Wirtz of Emmitsburg, then top 28 to 6, Yon Cameo of Blair, Nebraska in the consolation final 4-3. Seventh-ranked junior Kane Butrick, 22-10, was fourth at 126 for Fort Dodge. Butrick was 3-1 on the day, but had a medical forfeit in the consolation championship match. Freshman Sam Davidson took six at 106 pounds. Senior Colin Munter was seventh at 220. And freshman Luke Fierke placed eighth at heavyweight. Demarion and Kane wrestled really well in the stretches, Thompson said. I thought Sam, Colin, and Luke all showed flashes as well. They all got better against some really tough competition. That's the main goal. We knew be, being down Drew, Coy, Max, and Keaton was going to make it an uphill battle with six freshmen and three open weights. But the guys we took fought hard and made strides. They're all getting three. Or they're all getting there, rather. I said that wrong. The Dodgers host senior night on Tuesday in a duel against Mason City. All right, behind four champs, Webster City captures title. Another wrestling story here by Chris Johnson. Uh, Dateline Hampton. It might not have been a history paper C.J. Hissler was working on between matches on Saturday at the North Central Conference wrestling meet, but the Webster City senior made history nonetheless in the Bulldog gym. On his way to a third NCC individual title, Hissler was using his time wisely and finishing up a paper for school. Hissler, 195 pounds, along with classmate Austin Mason, 170 pounds, and juniors Carson Doolittle, 120, and Jackson Cherry, uh, 220. He helped lead Webster City to his first NCC team gold since 2018. Hissler and Doolittle became the 6th and 7th wrestlers in program history to earn at least three league titles. Connor Larson, Jason Dillingham, and Bart Chelsvig won three, while Cam Fittuxophone and Drake Doolittle each captured four. I was looked over at CJ at one point, and he was working on homework between rounds. The kid knows how to use his time wisely. His coach and father, Chad Hissler, laughed. He had a great day and is pretty focused on what he needs to do. CJ and Carson wrestled well all day and joined an elite group. So did Jackson and Austin. It was a total team effort, top to bottom, and a lot of fun. The Lynx accumulated a school NCC record at 218.5 points with six finalists and four champions. 
Humboldt was the runner-up with 189. Clarion Goldfield Dows, 173.5, was third. And Clear Lake, 169.5, took fourth. Webster City pulled away from the Wildcats thanks to 44.5 bonus points compared to Humboldt's to 24. Webster City recorded 22 falls. Hampton Dumont Cal, 160. Algona, 151. St. Edmund, 46. And Iowa Falls Alden, 21, rounded out the final standings. The unbeaten Hissler, 19 and 0, ranked third, pinned his way through the field. The multi sport all stater, who just returned from an injury after Christmas break, has been on a tear since returning. Doolittle, 28-1, rated number one, had a bye in the first round and finished with two pins, including a win via fall over 11th-ranked Tice Clarkin of Humboldt in 3.15 of the finals, 3 minutes and 15 seconds of the finals. The second-rated Cherry, 26-2, had falls in 23 and 55 seconds, respectively, on his way to his second-league crown. Cherry is just a beast, Hissler said. He came out and absolutely dominated. In his final season with the Lynx, Mason, 25-7, grabbed a second NCC gold with three falls, all ending in the first period. Mason wrestled a really close match against Halverson in the duel, but turned that around, Hissler said. He pinned his way through the tournament and clinched the team title with his win in the finals. Second-ranked freshman Lyndon Fetixophone, 27-2, lost in SV1 in the 106-pound championship match to Jason Stevens of Hampton-Dumont-Cal. Landon Griffin, 22-11, fell in the 285 final versus 5th-ranked Carter Heliskov of Hampton-Dumont-Cal. The Lynx had 11 wrestlers place. Jordan Vankum, 23-11 at 152 pounds. Braden Jensen, 24-12 at 160 pounds. And Dylan Burnett-Bingham. 14 and 16 at 182 pounds were third. Luke Eastland, 18 and 14 at 145, and Braden Henley, 22 and 14 at 126 were fourth. While Dawson Bertrand, 6 and 13 at 113 was fifth, and Tristan Mason, 14 and 18 at 138 was sixth. And that was a long story, so we're going to go ahead and cut it off there. You've been listening to the Ford Dodge Messenger. That was the sports section, and that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to this Monday, January 23rd edition of the Fort Dodge Messenger here on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. This has been your reader, Andrew Haupt, filling in, saying thanks for listening, have a nice day, and straight ahead.